Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Here we are. We are in Parshat Acharimot. The first part of the part is about Yom Kippur. That's pretty much all of chapter 16. And again, like for, for, for those of us who are missing Yom Kippur dearly or not, right? It's not the Yom Kippur that you know and love when you stand and, and sit and daven and shul all day and don't eat anything. We've got goats and, and mountains and burning clothes and all sorts of exciting stuff. Um, but we're not going to talk about that. Uh, chapter 17 um, also talks about sort of various sacrificial um, rites, but I don't really want to talk about dashing the blood against the altar this morning, even though Rabbi Schatz is wearing a lovely red, so it would match her outfit. Is that red? What, what color do you want to call that shirt? It is orange, but you, you can keep going. Sort of a... Um, sort of, so, uh, it looks reddish on the... Okay. okay. Uh, more red than orange to me, but I could also get my act. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna work with the beginning of chapter eighteen with a couple of verses that I would say seem to be fairly straightforward, but upon further unpacking, I think have some really interesting uh, pieces to offer. I would go so far as to say, as I was uh, taking a closer look at these verses, I think. Um, one of the primary goals of religion and spirituality can be found in one of these verses. So that's how I will tee up what we're going to be looking at. Rabbi Schatz, do you know where I'm going with that? Do you have any guesses? I actually don't. Do you ever have any idea where I'm going with this? No. Okay, great. So we're going to uh, move into our verses. So chapter starts. We know that. Uh, speak, speaketh unto the people of Israel and say to them, I am Lord your God. We're going to be focusing on verses 3 and 5 out of chapter 18. So as the practices of the land of Egypt in which you were dwelling, don't do those things. Whatever they did in Egypt, don't do that. And the stuff that they do in the land of Canaan, uh, that I'm bringing you to, don't do that stuff either. And do not, literally translated, do not walk uh, according, don't, don't, don't do those things. And according to their statutes, their laws, don't, don't walk in those ways. Et mishpatai ta'asu. Uh, but rather you should I'll, I'll read the translation I guess because we could we could play with the, the words you should uh, observe my rules and follow uh, my laws in the translation you see like my rules alone because presumably it's it's sort of like reading the context in there right? because in verse 3 it's saying don't do those things rather just do the things that I am commanding to you uh, to walk in those ways. I am the Lord your God. So it seems to be getting a little repetitive here, but as we know, nothing is in the Torah by accident. Everything is in there on purpose. Rather, you should keep my 
laws and my rules, asher adam bahem, that a person should do them and he should live by them. Ani Adonai, I am the Lord. Seems to be fairly straightforward, or is it? <laughs> that was my segue. To doing Kushio? Yeah, that was my segue. Okay, very good. I thought it was uh, a good segue. Yeah, no, that was great. Not a good okay. segue? It was great. Okay. Um, okay, yes, Renee, any good questions that people have about these three verses? I mean, I think I know the answer, but what what rules and what uh, and what laws are we supposed to observe? It doesn't specify it in this. Yeah, so, um, okay, great. I Let's take all the kushio and then we can get to them um, but uh, and see if we answer them. But yes, it's it's not clear to us which rules and which laws, just that we should keep the ones that are ours and not follow the ones that are not ours. Are there kushiot about these verses? Yeah, Nancy. So kind of piggybacking on that, what's the difference between rules and laws? Great. Um, I did not find anything on this in this particular Parsha, but but um, we can definitely go into that. There are there are definite differences uh, of Chukim and Mishpatim. Other yes, Karen. Wow, you're also good at raising your virtual hand today. Thank you so much, Karen. Go ahead. Um, I know this may be stupid, but <clears throat> one of the laws of Canaan. I mean, what what shouldn't we do? Yeah, I don't think that's stupid at all. It's a really it's a really great question. Again, similar to uh, to Renee's question, right? it's not specific as to <clears throat> laws we're talking about, right? Which ones to observe versus which ones to not observe. So it's a great question. Same, Other, same for the practices of uh, the land of Egypt. Same thing. Like what? What are the exactly? Yeah, I think that's what Karen's. I think that's what Karen's asking. Like, what are the things we're not supposed to do? Great. Other kushiot. Other questions. Wow. Sh- a short kushia section this morning. All right. Robert Shapiro. Oh, Denise. Uh, oh, Denise with a late-breaking kushia. <laughs> so I don't know if it's a kushia or just kind of an observation, but um, I don't remember anywhere that it talked about any of the laws or rules of Egypt or Canaan. So, so it's sort of like coming in the middle of the conversation, but we don't see the beginning. Interesting. There's, there's like an implied, you're saying there's like an implied sense that this audience of B'nai Israel will know what that is, but it's not necessarily specified. Yes, that, exactly. That's what I meant. Great. Um, Rav Shapiro, do you want to start? A lot of what I have actually picks up on, I mean, I'll, I'm, I'm cheating because I know that I want to speak about it. Can I cheat? Yeah. Great. I don't think it's cheating if you, you're teaching the class. I think it's just preparation i'm gonna cheat and <laughs> say that I, a lot of the kushiot have come up on on the that first verse in particular yeah um a lot of what i noticed and one of the things that that caught my eye and i think we've we've even spoken about it i think intermittently in this space is this idea of like the chai bahem that you mm-hmm. should that you should live by like what what does that mean, right? What does it mean that you should live by them? Doesn't seem to be obvious. What 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 is that? What does that connote? Is that is that causal? Is that something sort of 
a framing for how you should think about this, right? That um, especially because there seems to be a good amount of overlap, right? Between verses four and five, right? Which on the one hand you could say, all right, well, they look pretty similar. So just got to kind of gloss over them. Or you could be a dorky rabbi and say, aha, there must be a difference between those two verses, right? So like what, what distinguishes verse verse five from verse four, and and that that phrase seems to be um, one of them. So I spent I spent I looked at that in some depth. That was interesting. Do you want to just talk about Hukim and Mishpatim very quickly? Just since that's going to come come up, my guess in your in verse four. Um, sure. I also didn't do like a ton of prep on that specifically. I'm happy to speak to it in terms of my ending on it. But first, Mike has also done a wonderful job digitally raising his hand. Oh, sorry. I'm looking at my, I'm looking at the Safari screen, so I didn't see it. Mike, what's up? Uh, I hope you can hear me because it says my internet connection is unstable. But you're good. what What I'm wondering is the the uh, the rules that in 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 verse five you shall keep my laws and rules by the pursuit of which man shall live i am the lord thy god it seems a little bit um uh, i'm asking the question i guess it's uh, to make it a cushiot is it a bit one-sided i mean do we just obey do we have uh do we have any participation in this or how do we interpret the rules um, for ourselves and, and so that they make sense. And, and well, I like to think of the relationship between God and man as a partnership. So maybe that's coloring my question, but uh, that's my question, basically. Interesting. I found something interesting on verse five that touches on a different version of that, but I hear, I hear the question on verse four that like, are we, are we just supposed to kind of blindly obey or is there a sense of yeah, and I, I think that when when we there are there are multiple moments, and this comes up in the Gemara a little bit, um, just as kind of a commentary on this particular text. There are multiple moments in our Torah where we are told to not do things like others around us, such that we wouldn't assimilate. Um, whether that's an actual nation or just the other gender, right? I was teaching a class earlier this week about talit and tefillin for women, and. Um, one of the things that comes up when you teach that class is the idea of beged ish, right? A woman not wearing the clothing that is designated for a man. Now, obviously in 2022, that is much more problematic um, when we're talking about gender identity and just expression through clothing in general. Um, But in the Torah, right, I just wanted to kind of give this spectrum of that it's not so unique that we're being told to only do things according to our own people and not another people. Um, God and our Torah was very nervous about us somehow becoming like the other peoples around us uh, and, and therefore would try to keep us kind of within our own confines right within our own within our own boundaries um and if i needed to drosh on that one of the things that i would say comes out of that is actually denominational judaism right we actually within the different denominations we also keep ourselves closer and closer to certain things and depending on which denomination you're in they're they're different um so i just wanted to point point that out that i think uh, you know there there are many <clears throat> there are many instances not just this one, 
in which we're being told only be like the people who are like you and not like anybody else. Um, and so it is a little bit one-sided because we are open to, to people, you know, joining our community and are very welcoming of that idea. Um, but, but that kind of, um, neuroses of Jews being a small people goes back to the Torah as well. There's also, I don't want to steal any shots. Although first I'll, I'll like call out Paula's comment in the chat there, which is right. Paula wrote, uh, as a new lawyer, I wasn't allowed to wear pants to court. Yeah. Times have changed. Interestingly, I'm required to wear pants to court, but that's, that's a different thing. Um, but yeah, a big. But a shul, big... right? Like shul is the same kind of thing. If you ask Rabbi Sarah Baruch or Rabbi Rebecca Schatz if they would ever wear pants to shul, the answer would be no. And and not because you know Betham has written in my contract that I'm not allowed to wear pants to shul, but um, also but... not written in your contract that Rabbi Sarah Baruch can't wear pants. Right, right. I was just using her as an example. Oh, so okay. I've also spoken to about this. Um, but just that we didn't grow up in, and we grew up in very different communities, but we didn't grow up in a type of Judaism where girls wore pants to shul during like, you know, life when you're walking around because neither of us are modern Orthodox or Orthodox. Uh, we do wear pants, but just, <laughs> I hope that Sarah's appreciating that I'm, that, that we're talking about her so much in this podcast. Um, she listens all the time. She tells me that she's our number one listener. Um, but that at Shul, he gets or, enough of me. Believe me. <laughs> at Shul, it's a, just a whole different experience, right? Like going going to court. The dressing up for whatever reason for girls uh, is still is still wearing a skirt. Type <laughs> There's a there's there's, there's active chat about yes. people wearing, wearing I, I, uh, pants you, to show or not and Taibo just wrote yeah. in the pandemic I wear nightgowns to show all the time Very yeah good. I too wish that I could wear pajamas to show I think I would have a harder time getting away with it but I I do I do wish I could show up in sweats and a sweatshirt sometimes it would uh it would it would make my my Saturday morning experience a much easier one in, in looking at that verse I was I was noticing an interesting back and forth in the commentators that's sort of in a different direction, which is, and, and that also I think speaks to an interesting contemporary issue, which is how, how, um, how expansive or specific is that verse? Meaning when it says the practices of Egypt and Canaan, is it saying specifically those two places have certain practices and don't do those specific practices yeah. or are those examples of two non-Jewish cultures that you shouldn't then be following after, which you can then extrapolate out to all non-Jewish cultures. Right, right. Is it is it specific to those two, or is it saying any culture, any people, any nation that isn't the Israelite people, that isn't the Jewish people, stay away from that stuff? Um, and it seems like there's commentators that, that speak to both um, you know, perspectives on that, which, you know, spoiler alert, uh, I am not an ultra-Orthodox Jew, um, mm-hmm. right? Like, I know Rabbi Schatz is shocked <laughs> to hear this, um, right? We don't live in uh, uh, isolation right now. Um, and I'm someone, I think folks know this based on 
what I've spoken about in terms of other disciplines and other, you know, religions and senses of, of, you know, spirituality, right. That, that will say, I, I enjoy seeing the overlaps and interplay between Judaism and other systems of thought. And depending on how you read verse three, you could see it as a very specific prohibition of that saying, don't, don't mess with that stuff. We should be seeing Judaism as a much more um, specific system in and of itself that we shouldn't be looking at the, at that type of interplay. Um, I, I don't know that there is, a definitive way of resolving that, but I, but I think it's an interesting question to consider. Well, and it's also, it's interesting, I had not thought about this until you just mentioned um, that connection, that, you know, this whole Parsha um, picks up with this idea that Aaron's sons died from this strange fire, right? We don't know what that means. Um, our bar mitzvah boy this week will be talking about boundaries and how to hold strong boundaries and that that actually allows you to be closer to people. Um, but it is interesting to think about, then we talk about, um, a scapegoat and then we talk about Tameh and Tahor, right? This, these, these, these things that are supposed to keep us close to community, um, and not branching outwards, right? That there is something really, um, thematic about this week's Parsha in terms of, whether you want to call it boundaries or just insular behavior or community building, like whatever way you want to spin it. Um, there are ways in which we as a people are supposed to stay close to one another and not, and not um, like venture out of, of our different uh, elements well, uh, and, to find and, influence. And certainly on the back end of the part. On the back end of the Parsha, in terms of the familial relations that oh, you oh, oh, yes, 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 right. That, that right. you could, you could certainly apply that to the second half of the Parsha, which talks about right. how, if you are related to someone biologically or by marriage, you should not have relations with a very long list of people, which we would very long. Good. When I was going over this Parsha with our, with our Bar Mitzvah boy, we got to that part. I always have them read the Parsha with me and ask Kushiot as we're going through. And we got to the beginning of that list. And I was like, we don't need to read the rest of the Parsha. We're, we're, we're probably not going to talk about this. So we can just stop here. It's totally fine. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's really, I had never thought about the way in which this Parsha is really trying to keep us close to community. Um, and close to our tradition and close to ourselves, right? Close to those who are quote like us and whether or not that's good. Uh, that is much of what is happening in, in this Parsha, which not every Parsha is very thematic, but it seems to be in that way. I, I see that there are two hands up. I just want to build on that quickly. And then Denise and Karen can speak, which is that oftentimes this is part of a double Parsha, Right. Yeah. Oftentimes it's Achrimot and Parshat Achrimot and Parshat Kedoshim. Yeah. And people will, if, if you stay around long enough, you'll hear a rabbi riff on this at some point, oftentimes at a funeral or marking a yard site or something like that, that you can sort of see that as a phrase, Achrimot mm-hmm. Kedoshim, that after death, there is holiness, elevation, right? Some, something like that. Some of us on the call really like uh, exploring Jewish ideas of death and probably have thought about that a lot uh, in our heads of various institutes that explore such things. Um, Dean of death. 
Dean of Death, Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. Um, but thinking about that as well in terms of um, if we're thinking about this Parsha too as something that talks about boundaries and separation, right? Because holiness is that, right? If you're moving into a sanctified relationship in some kind of way, definitionally, you're also separating from someone else, right? You can't, you can't be close to everyone in the same way all the time. Um, so it's interesting to think about that. Denise, you've been waiting ever so patiently. So I'm just wondering if it's not just about keeping us separate and things like that, but it, like really a comment about the dominant culture, because it's specifically saying like Mitzrayim and Nun, which were like kind of the ruling cultures of each location. But then it doesn't talk about like Midian and Moab and Amalek and all these other that we know were around at the same time. Um, so I, I just wonder if like, if there's some kind of issue of just saying like, don't, um, don't get caught up in feeling like you have to be with sort of the cool crowd or the dominant crowd or, you know, cause it doesn't, it doesn't say to stay away from other ideologies, which about just ideology you would think it would list all of them I found um a very interesting I don't remember where it's from let me see if I can find it quickly while I'm speaking um an interesting piece uh that that somewhat speaks to that and the one of the I think one of the reasons that these particular groups are mentioned is because they're the closest to us meaning we wouldn't necessarily say as modern Jews, don't get close to, I don't know, I can't think of a religion that's like so far away from us, but like Baha'i, right? Like don't, don't get close. Zoroastrianism. Okay. Mm -hmm. Don't get so close to that tradition because the, the differences are stark enough that there would there would be no way of making their customs into your laws. There's a there's a halachic principle called minhag kehalacha, and um, a, a like a funny way of thinking about this um, law is that you know if Temple Betham has cholent every single Saturday. Temple Beth Am always has to have challenge because it gets to a certain point where people actually expect it. And therefore it's as if it's law. Now, obviously that's not the example that they would give in the Shulchan Aruch, but, but if you do something, a kippah is this, right? People started to cover their heads and all of a sudden it became halakha because it was a custom, not because it's actually halakha to cover your head. So that, that is a category of, of um, law making, so to speak. And so, um, the Ibn, it was Ibn Ezra. So Ibn Ezra said, a person should not habituate themselves to walk in this way, right, according to, un, to these other peoples, to the point where it becomes a statute for him, right, to the point where like, oh, I see that they're doing that. That seems pretty close to what we do. So now I'm going to take that on as my own law. So that was a very roundabout way, Denise, of, of saying to you, I think I think it has to do with the fact that they're closest to us, um, as opposed to having customs that would be very easily differentiated. Thanks. Yeah. Karen. I'm sitting here thinking of Kabbalah and the stones that I, the, uh, the stones that I have and my tarot cards and, um, 
you know, somebody who comes in and sages the house, not, not my house. Uh, you know what I mean? Things that I, I don't know what that is. It's not a religion. Right. Me, but it might be something that I would <clears throat> think about. It's like astrology. Yeah. <clears throat> so what about that? Yeah. So I forget which Parsha it is, but there is a Parsha that actually talks about not going the way of magicians or, um, or, or, uh, what are they called? Source, uh, sorcerers? Is that the right? Sorcerers. Sorcerers. Um, Soothsayers. Soothsayers. That is the word that's used. Yeah. Very good. Um, so there is precedent for that, but I think that what, what they're talking about here is more law. So those things, would go under a different category at some point, but probably not under this category, given that even if you are to read some kind of, um, right, like tarot cards or whatever it may be, <clears throat> that you wouldn't then turn that into any kind of law for yourself. Whereas some other practice that has a little bit more, um, foundation behind it might be something that then becomes a law for you. Um, Maybe some of you have heard of the category of Jew boos, like Jewish Buddhists. Um, I think this is it's the Jew boo or boo Jew. Oh, it's Jew boo. <laughs> I think I'm right. I don't know. Maybe. You usually are. Um, but anyway, whatever. The idea is that it's a, a person who is Jewish who who follows aspects of Buddhism. Um, and that probably is closer to what they're talking about here, right? That you would be taking on aspects of um, uh, of of another religion's idea of law and bringing it into your own religion and then assimilating towards it. Now, I think that if you were to ask someone in today's day um, if they are a Jew who who follows Buddhist traditions, I think much of it is around like mindfulness and meditation practice. So I don't I don't actually know that that this is what people would. Um, consider law any longer in, in that combination, but but that's what kind of the direction I was thinking. It's it's interesting. I mean, wow, there's a lot of hands on it. This is not at all what I prepared, and I was excited about some of the stuff I prepared, <laughs> but this is turning out to be a very interesting conversation. So I want to keep following this thread. Um, although I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna get around. I think I can find a way back. We'll we'll see what happens. Um, it's interesting. Rabbi Shatz, when you when you read that Ibn Ezra piece, because of the way the way that I heard it was that I'm saluting Rabbi Adam Clickfeld. The way that I heard it was sorry, yes, sir. The way I heard it was that you you might do something once or twice, but you shouldn't get so habituated to it that it's something that you always do. Right? Uh-huh. Like it's one thing if I go to like a Kundalini yoga class once or twice right, if right. I make it my weekly practice and I'm wearing my kippah there right, whoa right. whoa whoa then that's something that we need to to worry yeah. about which sounds slightly different than the way that you explained it but I yeah. think there's a way of, of reading it too yeah yeah it's, it's a really interesting quite like there's sort of a new agey bookstore in Abikini in Venice right and I told Sarah I was going there and she was like oh good a Vodazara time for you right like, like that if there's a bunch of sculptures of buddha and there's a bunch of this and there's a bunch of that Mm -hmm. at at what point do you shift from being someone who's interested in sort of a syncretistic perspective on religion and spirituality 
and someone who is interested in exploring other religions into someone who isn't clearly Jewish, right? I think I'm pretty clearly Jewish. I, I, I think so, right? But the other piece that Rabbi Schatz mentioned just now is at what point does a religion or a religious civilization or a spiritual practice or whatever it is get so watered down that it's no longer definitionally its own thing, right? Because I'm, I, I'm confident that people who take Buddhism really seriously, if you were to say to them, oh, yeah, mindfulness, be like, no, right? And we see that with Judaism sometimes too. It's like, oh, yeah, Judaism's great, tikkun olam. Y- yes, and it's also more than just that, right? So yeah. I, I think there are some interesting questions around how much of the intersection is a healthy exploration and how much of it gets to a point where it's no longer recognizable as that thing that it is, which, by the way, people might sign up for and say, groovy, that sounds very interesting to me, but I'm pretty sure that this verse is cautioning against that, while also reminding us on the back end to think about how are we holding on to that which is uniquely and definitionally ours, and we could have an even longer conversation about what is uniquely and definitionally Jewish without it getting, you know, like watered down to the point that it's not recognizable. I I think there's some interesting sort of conversations in in both directions. Yeah, yeah. Renee, and then Mike, and then Tidal. So I, this is back to when you were talking about the, the, the magic and stuff like that. It just got me to think of like, does it include stuff that, for instance, that the group of people who believe that if, the, if something goes wrong, for instance, that they go and they have their mesesis check to see if anything, if the letters fell down, or tefillin, having tefillin checked. So tefillin, tefillin checked is different than having a mezuzah checked. Tefillin checked is actually necessary to make sure that the tefillin is kosher so you can wear it. Um, having your mezuzah checked is uh, is a, a bit of a superstition um, because if something goes wrong in your home, people say, oh, well, maybe your mezuzahs aren't kosher. It's like one of my least favorite ideas of theology. Um, but uh, blame it on a piece of wood that's on your doorpost okay uh so but but yeah i think that that's a little bit more of like a, a superstition um and the film thing is actually necessary but i don't think that's what this is because this is we're we're specifically talking about different hold on hold on hold on, hold on. Hold on. i always feel very much disagrees with me hold this on. Be good okay mm-hmm. yes it's total superstition to check the piece of paper and the piece of wood on your door But checking the piece of paper in the amulet on your head, now that's real religion right there. No, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What I'm saying, what I'm saying. That's real, that's logical. That's really, that that makes sense. The the amulet on your head, that's real halacha, but the, the, just that little thing on your door, that's, that's total narish. No, you're re, you're, you're re, you're, you're reordering my words. What I'm trying to say is that the reason that you have your tefillin checked is like, if I'm gifted my grandfather's tefillin, there is a chance that given the oils from your skin and over time, the parchment then no longer has the letters. I have oily skin, Rabbi Shots, because now I'm I'm really getting offended. It's possible the letters are no longer on the tefillin and therefore you're just wearing a black box on your head, but there's nothing actually in it that makes it tefillin. What I'm saying about the mezuzah is that when you check a mezuzah, 
your mazona should be kosher when you put it up. You should check it to make sure that it goes up on your door kosher. A hundred percent, I'm saying that. But when you go to check your mezuzah, because God forbid someone in your household gets cancer yeah. or has a disease or something like that, right? That is superstition, right? I, that I, is not when when well, my brother got sick, they told us to check the the, the tfus on the mezuzah to see right. if any of the letters had fallen. Exactly. And also they said to check his, even though his fill-in, like you said, his tefillin were kosher, they'd been checked the, you know, every whatever years you're supposed to do. But they said to check the tefillin also to see if any of the letters didn't drop or fall or I, whatever. I, I totally agree with like the the problematic theology of, oh, something bad happened, check your mezuzah. That I, I, I get. And obviously I know I was being somewhat silly with your words. And the categories of law and custom and superstition are not nearly as well segmented as the three chambers of the amulet that you wear on your head. Ah, you see what I did there? See what I did there? I made it still. That was very good. That was very good. Uh, Right. That, that there, that there is definitely, depending on how you think about it, that it's not always so clear what's custom and what's law. It's not always so clear what's custom and what's superstition. Right. And, and I think that, that, those categories of stuff 2,500 years ago were not so neatly defined as we might think about today. That, that's all I would say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike and then Tybal. You know, <clears throat> uh, to bring us back to what um, Rabbi Schatz was saying before this latest con- conversation, <laughs> when when you talk about you know, sort of like being a little insular and and that part um, and rules. Uh, you know, we are not that far from from having the parsha of Tazaria and Matsura, where we are talking about how the priests had to come in and rectify things and purify. You know, I mean, so they're. There, it, this sort of is a way of uh, maybe going back to some of that because yeah. if uh, if if were if words if if there was a shon hara or 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 something going on uh, that made uh, you have uh, quote leprosy, there was a whole process in the in the uh, spelled out in the Torah for how you bring someone back into the community. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, and, and again, I, it's bring back into our community, right? So it's, even though you're still talking about in and out, right? We're still talking about in and out within our own space, um, as opposed to this branching out to these other communities. Uh, when, when you're sent out of the Jewish community, it's not that they hope that now you go off and you live, you know, in a convent somewhere. They're still hoping that you're in the Jewish community, just not on their ground. Um, so yeah, that's, that's an even, an even deeper kind of, um, uh, circle to this, to this web here. Uh, Tybal. Um, two things. Uh, this one isn't personal to me because, uh, due to disability, I can't even do modified yoga. But when I think back, I've lost count of how many people in the kind of more granola havara circles I move in addition to conservative, you know, in addition to more structured circles. 
circles who are doing yoga. And I think there's some kind of bow or salute or something where, or something. I'm not even sure, but this comes up like over and over and over again as people start yoga, even though they don't believe it. Anyway, so I was just thinking that sometimes it's not even about belief. It's looking as if you're conforming. It's almost like a Morrisian kind of thing, mm-hmm. though not expressed that way. But then it also reminded me of something I still, it wasn't me, but it was my family. I still think about and have trouble with. Um, my adult child was getting a degree conferred in England. And England is much more formal. You can't even claim the degree until you go through a ceremony. And in the ceremony, and he'd been to day school for nine years. So there's no question he opted out. Oh, and I should say the ceremony, no choice has to be on Shabbos. Mm-hmm. Just the way it is. Shabbos morning. We're talking England. They don't do it five school days. They're certainly not doing it on the Lord's Day. You know, you really don't have an out unless you want to make. And, and it wasn't my choice. It was my adult child's choice. Okay. So there we were on Shabbos. We forgive you, Tybal. We forgive you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll just say I wore, uh, I'm not a, um, a scarf wearer, but I happen to have a scarf and I wore my father's tallest clips mm-hmm. on the scarf. So my family, we knew what that was about and why those tallest clips there, but you know, other people didn't notice. I can actually show a virtual background. Okay. Um, so easy for him. There was no way he was going to have the degree conferred in the name of the Trinity. That that was, and I'm sure because there are enough Muslim students in England, that was easy, but he had to bow to get it. And he wasn't bothered by it, but I'm still, that's you really start talking about really this. And I thought if I'd been in that situation, I'm not sure I could have bowed. Like in, in, in order to get the degree, he has to like bow down to the people giving him the degree. He, he, uh, I said, probably said the wrong word, a little aphasia. I can show a photo of that too. He, it would take me a minute to grab it. He had to kneel wow. and bow his head. And then, I mean, it's almost like the, the English version of smicha, then they, the, the, the official touched him on his shoulders mm. and that gave him a de- degree, but he had all these mornings because of various things. He finished, I don't know, May or June, the ceremony he could make was in October, November, October. Um, and that's just the way it was. Didn't have to be in the name of the Trinity, but, and I remember talking to him, does this bother you? No, he's fine. He was fine with the bowing. But uh, when I, when I was in college, um, I, sorry, there's some noise in the background. My AC is being um, replaced and things, it sounds like my whole house is coming down. So I'm sorry if you can hear that. Um, What's it being replaced with? An AC that actually works. Uh, um, yeah. Not confetti. Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, so the, I, I think that there's a difference here, though, though fascinating in terms of, you know, things that we have to do still in a world um, where the world that we live in in America at, at most times, if we're lucky, there's a separation of church and state. That's not how it is everywhere in the world, um, including Israel, by the way, but we don't have to get into that. Um, 
But when I was in college, you know, as someone who was studying music, I sung about Jesus all the time. Um, and, you know, our alumni song for the choir that I was in for four years was Battle Hymn of the Republic, <laughs> um, which is a lot about Jesus, a beautiful song, but a lot about Jesus. I sang it mass multiple times. Um, I, I think that there is a difference between having experiences in other cultures and religions where you immerse yourself such that you can have the full experience and the idea of immersion for practice. So if I had continued to go to mass after I you know, was obligated to go to it for my, for my degree, that might be questionable in terms of why a Jew was going to sing in mass. Now it's beautiful. And I would, I would suggest to anybody who enjoys beautiful music to at least experience mass. Um, but there are, there are plenty of Jews who will not set foot in a church. Correct, correct. I was just about to say that. So there, there are, again, those boundaries around some people who won't even go into a church for, for fear that something will be too beautiful or too compelling or whatever and make you want to assimilate towards that tradition. I, I, I guess all I'm, all I'm sharing in that is that I think that what the Torah is saying is more so do not make those things into your laws. Do not make those things into your practices, right? There's a whole subset of Christians who celebrate Passover, right? Because they want to celebrate, um, they want to celebrate the holidays that they believe are, you know, the, the traditional holidays of the, of the Old Testament. And that is the, the flip of what the Torah is saying, right? If those people were Jews celebrating Christmas, it would be the same, it would be the same kind of issue that you would take something on as your ritual or practice. And that's what the Torah is saying not to do and why we should keep our, keep our distance. Um, oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, we, we still have a lingering question just in terms of raw content about the difference between Chok and Mishpat, which I want to address which I at least want to answer at some point. And there's, I at least want to share one thing out of, look, I need like notes, my book and the whole deal. Wow. There's at least like one thing out of what I prepped that I want to share, but right. Mike's going to talk and then I'm going to do I also, if people want to stay on it after the podcast, I have a, a crazy story about this. It'll be like a deleted scene from the podcast. I have a crazy story about um, oh, yeah. boundaries between faith traditions. <laughs> that I will not share on the recording. Yeah. Uh, but if people want to stick around after the recording, I am happy to share it. It is. It is. It's a great story. But now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mike. No, all, all I wanted to say was that it's like different between what I think there is a big difference between what Tybal is talking about, what you're talking about. And, and for instance, like it would be one thing to have it or to sing in a choir in a church or to have a degree um, you, or, uh, you know, presented uh, where you kneel. But what if you were Jewish and you married a Catholic and then kneeled mm-hmm. at the serve at the that would be a, of a different uh, degree. And I might add that there are, uh, you know, within Judaism, there are some Orthodox rabbis who will not set foot into a uh, um, conservative or certainly not a reform yeah. temple, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's also, I mean, and, 
you know, the, the flip side to that is that, you know, Denise wrote in the chat, um, that, like Denise wrote in the chat in yoga, they now say, bow your head to the light within. Some might say that and others might say, like, I, I have been in yoga classes where they are very clearly talking about like Hindu gods, right? Like, like, because yoga can be a Hindu practice, right? So, so I just think, you know, that there are also more and less ecumenical places in terms of awareness around what this is. I mean, lots, lots of, lots of love. Uh, yeah. And, and Taibal, yes, exactly. Hindu is very much, Hinduism is very much a Pali. Um, Sarah is getting lots of love on, on the, on the class today. Sarah in the, who works in the chaplaincy world, chaplaincy has historically been very Christian, right? And she's experienced some really interesting stuff in terms of national bodies um, of chaplains that have historically been very Christian and navigating that as Jewish clergy um, has not always been a simple thing, right? That, that's sort of like, I'll, I'll leave it at that because it's the rest of it is just sort of her, her stuff to share. Um, but it's been very interesting to, to see that unfold as well. Okay. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, we have five minutes to answer the question that was thoughtfully asked towards the beginning. And then I want to share at least one thing of what I actually prepared that I think I might even be able to convert into a bow of what we've been talking about. Ah. I will say, I mean, this was, it's been a while since we've, since we've done this. And it's good to be reminded that on exploring the Parsha, you just never know what's going to happen. Um, here's my understanding of Chukim and Mishpatim and Rabbi Schatz will tell me when I am wrong. Um, my understanding in like very brief is that as we know in Judaism, there are some laws, rules, halachot that seem to make intuitive sense to us. And there are some that are just like, that doesn't really seem to have much logical basis for anything at all. Um, and that is frequently understood as what Hukim and Mishpatim are. That Mishpatim, I have this right, and I sometimes get this backwards, uh, it's like stalactites and stalagmites, uh, that Mishpatim are the rules within our tradition that make sense. Give charity, right? Like that makes sense. It's like a kind thing to do, right? Uh, give to that, right? So that's like, one of the Mishpatim. And Chukim are the halachot, are the rules within our tradition that you can't, even when you're stretching, you have a much harder time coming up with a logical basis for that. Like the, the rules of the red heifer are sort of held up as the paradigmatic chok. Why would it be that you would sacrifice and grind up a red heifer in order to purify the priests who have become impure? Uh, that's a hook. Did I, how, how did I do with that? Was that? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's good. I think it's just different, different degrees of law is the, the easy way of categorizing those two things. Um, what's your, what's your piece? I got a lot of pieces. So many pieces. What's the one you're going to share? Oh, so like I said, towards the beginning, I, I, spent more of my exploration towards um, the very end of our three verses and exploring that sense of 
Um, the Chai Bahem. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna breathe. Mm, I found so much good stuff. Okay, one very, very, no, I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna do the one thing because we're running out of time. Um, basically, in short, there's some conversation about, um, like Rashi talks about how the Chai Bahem is in this world, it's the world to come. Some people talk about, um, how it actually indicates Derech Eretz, that it's just not about um, the letter of the law, but about the way in which you bring it into the world. Um, but there are a number of Hasidic commentaries on this. Whoop, whoop. Uh, and one of them was a teaching from Reb Nachman, who said, basically, in short, that for people for whom, um, who see these laws, who see these rules, um, as just being the, the like rules that you have to do. Um, they have no vitality whatsoever and it, they are always depressed because it seems to them when they're being unnecessarily, uh, exacting and strict that they fail to meet their religious duties within the mitzvot they perform. That if you just see this as like the stuff that you have to do and you have to follow the rules and you sort of take it on as that, um, basically onerous sense of what you must do all the time, that you don't have any vitality to it. And so that's why it says the Chai Bahem, that when you think about your religious life, when you think about your spiritual life, it should be that which brings you a sense of vitality and liveliness and energy, right? That this isn't just the stuff that you don't oh, go to do it, right? But that there should be that which brings um, some real energy and vitality to it. There's a lot more to get into on that um, in general, but I at least wanted to bring that up, A, because it aligns for me within my sense of what religion and spirituality are ideally directing us towards, a sense of connection with our lives, a sense of bringing us energy and joy and connection. Um, and I would also like sort of bow that up in terms of the conversation that we've been having today. Like when we think about what's in, what's out, what feels kosher, as it were, to explore, what feels like we, it's sort of a step too far. Um, you know, we have the gift in 2022 of being exposed to a lot of different ideas and spiritual practices and other religions. Um, and I think, you know, trying to put those two pieces together, I think the challenge for us is finding the ways that we stay rooted and grounded within our own tradition um, in the ways that bring us life and also recognizing that there can be a sense of vitality in exploring other avenues for spiritual connection and doing that dance, whether that's within Judaism or sort of outside the more formal and traditional bounds of that and finding the ways in which that that can be a sense of Baham, a sense of uh, bringing us life and energy and excitement in that way. And yea, verily, may we do so this Shabbat and every Shabbat. That was very beautiful. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.